0: Welcome everyone to our NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz, pleased to be joined by Steve Shaw. He is the CFO, the National Coordinator of Football Officials and Secretary for the rules, the NCAA Football Rules Committee. So it's a little bit of a word salad. Bottom line is, when it comes to football rules, we go to you. Uh, So before we get to um, some of the newer things that we'll see in the fall, Uh, starting, you know, this weekend and throughout the course of all divisions uh, in college football. I just want to go back a little bit and just uh, ask you, first off, uh, last season, which was split over the course of the year, and not everyone did play college football last year, just how you felt like the rules were applied and navigated through such an unprecedented year. Well, Andy, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, it, it
1: was an unprecedented year. And in fact, what was interesting about the year is that our um, rules committee met before the pandemic hit. We finished all our work up in late February. And then obviously it was March when the pandemic hit. So um, we had to actually come back together as a group and see what type of adjustments that we needed to make for the game. And we made a few adjustments, the team area, uh, the toss, and certainly one of the things we worked around was the protocols for uh, officials on field and all that. So, so there was a lot of extra work last year, you know, once the pandemic hit. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm pretty proud of college football because in an environment where things were shutting down and things were closing, we found a way to play safely and we got to the finish line in the fall and then got to the finish line in the spring. So uh, I think it was good for a lot of people.
0: You know, you bring up an interesting point that I think gets lost a lot uh, in what we all experienced last year was just how officials handled everything. Um, It became a little more high-profile when we got to the NCAA tournament, but for the most part, officials had to dramatically change their life. Um, Like, I mean, we all did, but at the same time, their work life—they couldn't travel together. Uh, A lot of times, they couldn't meet together, um, so that added expenses, added stress, the testing. How, How do you think? football officials were able to navigate that aspect of this last year that you
1: know the our virtual world probably became the most difficult part because what keeps you going in the season is that crew camaraderie you know you have a a crew meeting if it's a Saturday game a Friday night meeting and then you know you have an early breakfast and you kind of let down and then you get into your pregame work but that interaction time all went away because our friday night even though we were all in the same hotel friday night meetings was all virtual zoom microsoft teams whatever uh same thing on game day i mean they literally saw each other when they got in the van to go to the stadium and then as soon as they got back to the hotel back to their rooms to do their post game virtually so that was a very very difficult part we adjusted with the mask you know we tried some things we had a few false starts we we thought you know not going to your mouth a hundred plus times a game with a regular whistle would be good. We tried electronic whistles. They just didn't have, you know, the sound amplification enough, even in lightly filled stadiums. Um, so we, we tried that didn't really work, but it was a tough year because you didn't have that face-to-face human interaction that really that's what keeps you going in a long, tough year.
0: All right. So what should officials uh, expect this season? in terms of, first off, um, protocols, vaccination versus unvaccinated, uh, mask versus unmasked, and whether or not they can fully congregate. So we, we actually have worked through uh, working with Dr.
1: Hainline and the, the entire NCAA medical staff, but uh, we've set protocols for this year. And if you're fully vaccinated, You know, then we're not gonna have to have the rigorous testing that we had last year. I didn't mention that, that was another difficult. We had to test every week and I know that was tough for the players officials too. But if you're fully vaccinated, you're really gonna go back, you're still gonna have your mask with you for pregame meetings and that sort of thing. But once you're on the field, no mask, work the game uh, as our old CCA mechanics would have it. If you're not fully vaccinated, then you're still gonna be required to do the testing and masking as we did last year. Uh, But I will tell you this, um, in in our discussions with all our coordinators from the conferences, we have many conferences that their officials are at 100%. And those that are not, it's usually one or two individuals that aren't fully vaccinated and that's because of a a specific reason. So so our officials are kind of leading the nation, if you will, in, in vaccination percentage. And that's going to be helpful. And we're going to do some things like I mentioned earlier, the toss. We're going to open the toss back up somewhat. Last year, we only allowed one captain from each team to come out. And by rule, four are allowed. And that's a big deal for players. So we're going to allow the the four captains to come back out with the referee and umpire. And then it's going to be worked through game management. But if they fully vet like an honorary captain or a celebrity tosser, then they can be part of the toss if they have gone through the the protocols that the game management has for that site, all the state and local you know issues for testing, for vaccinations, for masking up. So some of the things we're beginning to open back up, but I will say this, uh, and we've preached this with our officials, you know, maximum flexibility. If you had asked me this four or five weeks ago, I thought we had Covid kicked and we were moving on. But as we all know, things are changing. You know, right in, in under even our feet, and uh, and so we've got to keep flexible. If things change, we have to be prepared to make modifications on the fly as far as our protocols. But we're we're opening it back up to a degree, especially with the
0: fully vaccinated. Well, and that's the thing, Steve. I mean, uh, I think you're going to find, and if you haven't already, that some campuses are going to really almost prevent unvaccinated personnel, whether it's media, officials, you name it, being close to players uh, on various campuses. It's just going to be different around the country. So, I mean, it really would behoove all officials to be vaccinated to really work anywhere in the country because I think we could find different parts may have a little bit of a different protocol based on whether or not you're vaccinated or not.
1: Absolutely, and that's why we've stressed it. Um, it's a personal decision, but that's why I'm proud of our officials. They have really come through and, and we're in you know either conferences are at 100 percent or in the very, very high 90s. so that, that's a good number for
0: us. All right, so let's dive a little into the rules. Um, you know let's start right at the, with scoring because obviously that's what a lot of people are focused on uh, usually and, and the overtime two point conversion and how that has changed, how how would you explain it? So this was really an
1: off year for rule changes, but things that involve player health and safety or an adjustment to last year's rule changes uh, or something to the image of the game can be adjusted. And this is one where what we found is an overtime period adds about 14.1 plays to a game. And as our plays have gone up, you know we're over 180 plays average now in, in FBS. And so if we got into these low, long overtime games, a lot of plays for our student athletes. So we're not changing any of the overtime, we call them extra periods, any of the extra period rules, but the timing is. So the first extra period we play straight up, but when we get into the second extra period now, if you score a touchdown, then you have to go for two. And then if you get to a third overtime period, then we're going to have a, you know, each team will get the ball for one play. It looks like a two-point try. We'll put the ball down at the three-yard line, and that'll be their possession series. So each team will run one play. If the game is still tied, and we go to a fourth overtime, again, we'll continue this one-play possession series for each team. And the reality is everybody wants a winner. We got to have a winner, uh, but it, it's time that we get these student-athletes off the field and. I would tell you, Coach Shaw, David Shaw is the chair of our rules committee. As we had these discussions, he pointed out this. You know, now a lot of players wear these biomarkers that give information back to the trainers, oxygenation of the blood and all these type things. Well, he talked about they had an overtime game. He coaches at Stanford. They had an overtime game at UCLA. He said, I I don't really, you know, get into all this, but it has a uh, red light, yellow light, green light, you know, monitoring component of it. He said all season in games, we only had two players that went into the red. He said in that one overtime game, we had 15 players get into the red on these biomarkers. So that's an indicator there that there's a fatigue factor. We all know that if you're more fatigued, you're more likely to get injured. So I think this is a good change to protect
0: our student athlete. You know, I just want to pick up on something you just mentioned, because I thought about this in a number of different sports, but especially in football, because we talked a lot about this on this show last year, what is the appropriate amount of time before you start a season? Was it four weeks, six weeks? And once that was established, you know, you realize that first of all, they didn't have anything before that. And finally, this year, after that hiatus, there was the normal spring into summer conditioning and then your team practices leading into the season. Um, what did you guys find? You know, when we talk about health and safety, about how critical it was to go back to allowing spring and summer conditioning before you get into even hitting to prevent some of these injuries and, and to continue to work on health and safety for players. Yeah. And a great point because not
1: really a part of the rules of the game per se, uh, but a lot of adjustments were made in the practice schedule, the number of practices and full pads, how long you could, could hit because I think what we were seeing as a trend is that, you know, there were more upper body injuries in, you know, that that preseason practice. And so everybody is working to minimize as much as we possibly can any injury, but certainly anything that's upper body related. So I think that the practice schedules are a little changed this year, but the coaches have adjusted to it. And, you know, you mentioned early on about our officials last year because of the pandemic, we got very very little work almost none in the spring and very little in the preseason everybody was so scared to bring people into campus but this year we've gotten you know back into scrimmages being able to work we we did we did some work in the spring so i think that will help our officials be better prepared when we kick it off and and one thing that has been you know there is some positives to this whole thing what we have learned because we were forced to we couldn't have face to face clinics we've put a lot of training materials, and we've learned how to retrain in a virtual setting. And I think once we get back to a face-to-face world, that's going to make our officials even better because we can supplement our face-to-face with really good virtual training that we've kind of learned the hard way. And uh, I think that'll be a lot better. A a quick example of that, you know, as, as a referee, when I was on the field, when our crews were announced in the early summer I would always have a conference call, you know, an old fashioned conference call and get our crew together, you know, kind of start the camaraderie. And we would talk about planning and and what we were going to do to get ready for the season. And we would always have a big weekend where we would all come in for a few days to kind of prep for the season and work a scrimmage. Now our crews are starting in the summer. Every week they're having a one hour, you know, Zoom call to talk about rule changes, to talk about mechanics, to talk about philosophies. And so we would have never gotten there without this pandemic forcing us there. So there'll be some positive things
0: coming out of it. All right. So the team bench area uh, in all sports, that was adjusted, obviously, because of the pandemic and limiting who could even be within a few feet, uh, let alone 20 to 25. feet. W- what has changed or gone back to this season in terms of that, that entire bench area? So we did. So
1: the the team area used to be between the 25-yard lines. So that was the team area. Last year, because of the pandemic, for one thing, we were clearing off the sidelines. All the people down were were really moving out. And so in in an attempt to allow social distancing, we expanded the the team area down to the 15-yard line. And um, the coaches loved it. And not just because they could be further down the field and be in the ear of the official, but they could see into the red zone better, they could substitute much better, and uh, and it did allow them to kind of reorganize their sidelines. So after a lot of debate in the rules committee, we're kind of splitting the difference. And, and this year we've got a permanent change, whatever permanent means in this world now, but we're gonna make the team areas between the 20 yard lines. So that does give them from the original team area, more room to reorganize, social distance, et cetera, but allows the coaches to be closer to the red zone, better view, easier to substitute. So I think that's an area that uh, is a good change that we're making that the coaches really like. And we never had any big issues last year with it at the 15. So I think that'll be a good a good change for the, for the teams.
0: All right, instant replay. I don't care what sport it is. If there is instant replay, the big complaint has always been the time it takes to watch the replay. Uh, you want to get it right but you also got to do it within uh, a somewhat, uh, you know, decent time frame. So what's changed in that regard? Well, so one of the things
1: and, and replay is an area that we see it creeping into the game more and more. Uh, an example in the 2019 season, we averaged 2.1 stops per game. Last year, we were up a little over 2.5. And if you looked at just, the autonomy five conferences, they were over 2.8 stops a game. So the stops are going up. The time was a little bit longer last year. So we're really trying to drive efficiency in the process. We're not taking replay away, but one of the changes we're going to make is now if you have a replay overturn, unless you're under two minutes in the second quarter or under five minutes in the fourth quarter, we're not going to take the time, burn the cycles to adjust the clock. Nobody cares that we put three, four seconds back on the clock in the middle of the first quarter on an overturn. So, so that is going to help the efficiency, shorten the time of that replay. So that's just one of the things we're doing. A lot of our training this year has been working with our officials that, you know, it, the, what, what really kills you is not the efficient reviews, it's these long reviews. So you can have two or three efficient ones, but then if you get a long review, people only remember the long ones. And so that's the ones we're trying to make impact on. and and really we, the guidance we've given the replay officials, if, if you're starting to approach two minutes and you don't have a decision, that's your decision. There's nothing clear and obvious. Get out of it, let it stand. Now obviously, if it's a last play of the game or something, we're going to take all the time we need. But really the guidance is you should never go over two minutes on a routine uh, review. If you don't have the if you don't have the indisputable video evidence by that time, Let's let it stand and move on.
0: All right, points of emphasis, emphasis, excuse me. Uh, Every year, one of the ones that is always there, obviously, is targeting, and it can get tweaked every season. It's probably the most important in terms of health and safety, certainly any kind of helmet to helmet. Uh, And obviously, we have evolved over the years on concussion protocols. Uh, What has jumped out in terms of points of emphasis? Emphasis. So, so you you hit it first, uh, targeting
1: and and really, all the player safety rules are a high priority for our officials, but primarily targeting. We have to do a good job there. And I know a lot of fans maybe don't don't like the targeting rule or the disqualification component of it, but I would tell you that this rule change is changing player behavior. We're seeing it, and uh, and we need to, you know, we have to do the things uh, that minimize you know, helmet collisions uh, or using the helmet as a weapon. So uh, that is a a couple of others that I'll mention. Um, So as we go into the season and the rules committee gave us good guidance on unsportsmanlike conduct. I mean, they said, Hey, you're doing a great job on celebrations. We know we're, we're allowing them latitude when they celebrate together, but you know, on taunting issues, things that are directed at an opponent, we, we should have no leeway. And, and you know, those taunting and, and things that are demeaning to the game, those are the type actions that lead to further issues in your game. And so that's going to be a point of emphasis. Don't change how we're doing on celebrations. But if a player directs actions at an opponent, taunts an opponent, no leeway, we're going to penalize that. I, I think that is uh, that's that's very important. Another area is uniforms. So we're we're not going to be the end all on uniforms that that we would need uh, more officials to do that. But our role as officials if a player is significantly out of scope. So, you know, their pants are halfway up the thigh or they've got a big t-shirt hanging way down in back, then we're going to take action. Hopefully we can get it all done in pregame or or times where, you know, TV timeouts or whatever, but uh there's no yardage penalty with it. The player either corrects it or goes out of the game, but we need to have a responsibility, but ultimately the schools have responsibility to make sure uh, that they're they're wearing their uniform properly. And then finally, uh, sideline management and control. We we really went into this a couple years ago and did a great job. And, and part of that was, you know, it, if a coach wants to debate an officiating decision, they need to do it from the team area. They don't need to come out on the field and make this big display. And so it was a point of emphasis. Last year, especially as the year wore on, you know, we'll blame it on COVID. Every the society blames everything on COVID, right? But uh, we that got away from us. And in our bowl season, we had some uh, some issues where we didn't penalize with coaches coming out demonstrating. So we're communicating that with the coaches, and we are definitely if if a coach comes out puts as I say two feet in the green grass and debates an officiating decision. That's an automatic unsportsmanlike conduct, but it's not going to be a surprise. All the coaches know it, and they make their own decision if they want to come out.
0: Hey, one last thing just want to follow up, um, and I've asked this to officials before. That line of it's the rule versus intent, uh, and you'll hear coaches say, well, you know, he didn't mean it. He didn't mean to trip him. He didn't mean to do this or that. Uh, you, know, he didn't, you, know, he, you know, if someone gets hurt. It wasn't intentional. Da, da, da. How do you instruct in fish officials to make sure you're dealing with the letter of the rule versus trying to, you know, interpret an intent of a player? Yeah. So our officials
1: will will never be able to know the intent of players. Okay. But we'd also don't want to be this letter of the law type group. So really where we work to is the spirit of the rule. What's the intent? And, and, you know, I know fans sometimes don't like to hear this, but if you have a sweep around right in and the left tackle gets his hand out a little bit, it has no impact on the play. We don't want that as a holding call. But if that is a point of attack or has impact on the play, then certainly we want that as a foul. But but we we can't really judge intent of a player. but within the spirit of the
0: rules that's what we're looking to do uh from that perspective. And, and well I was just going to say and uh penalty is a penalty regardless of when it occurs if it's a blatant penalty cuz you hear this as well you know 2 seconds left pass toward the end zone pass interference oh how could they call it you know there's only 2 seconds left well if it was blatantly pass interference it's pass interference
1: yeah, that's exactly correct. And and consistency is important for our officials. They, they need to call the game, you know, from the beginning to the end the same way, you know, but in the spirit of the rules. Any one thing I want to mention we didn't talk about, and that is feigning injuries. And, and our rules committee spent a lot of time on this. And it's, you know, fans have seen it. Uh, you know, the offense is up-tempo, and they've got a drive going, and then all of a sudden you see a defensive player kind of fall out. Um, and and it's a bad look for the game. It's contrary to, you know, everything our game is about. Um, but it's very difficult to make an in-game penalty for that. I mean, typically the only thing we have at our disposal is add the time that a player would stay out of the game. Now they have to stay out one play, and if the medical group approves them to come back, they can come back. Um, but extending that time gave us some concern that a player really injured may not want to go out for a whole series or a number of plays and may try to play through it. And we didn't want that. So after a lot of discussion, we're going to put in a process where now if a, if an institution or a conference suspects, you know, a feigning injury situation, they can make an appeal to the national coordinator of officials That's myself, and we'll do a video review. And if we suspect and see that there's evidence of feigning injuries, then we'll go back and report to the athletic director at that institution. And it will be up to that athletic director to take further action within their program. But I think this is kind of the next step. We really want to, you know, do away with this feigning injury practice. And we're hopeful that this will work uh, as a deterrent to uh, feigning injuries
0: for the season. No flopping.
1: No No flopping.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, Steve, I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, I know we'll be watching closely and hope for a safe and healthy season in all divisions of college football. And as always, you can go to NCAA.org slash social series where all our social series are archived. I'm Andy Katz. Thanks for watching.